Let's open our Bibles this morning to Ezra chapter 10, verses 1 through 5. Ezra chapter 10, verses 1 through 5. While Ezra prayed and made confession, weeping and casting himself down before the house of God, a very great assembly of men, women, and children gathered to him out of Israel. For the people wept bitterly. And Shechaniah, the son of Jehiel, of the sons of Elam, addressed Ezra, We have broken faith with our God and have married foreign women from the peoples of the land. But even now there is hope for Israel in spite of this. Therefore let us make a covenant with our God to put away all these wives and their children according to the counsel of my Lord and of those who tremble at the commandment of our God. And let it be done according to the law. Arise, for it is your task, and we are with you. Be strong and do it. Then Ezra arose made the, and made the leading priests and the Levites and all Israel take an oath that they would do as had been said. So they took the oath. Let's pray. Our Father... Through your Son, Jesus Christ, you bore the weight we could never bear. You took the punishment we could never endure. You provided the salvation we could never earn. You clothed us in righteousness that was against the very nature that we had. God, you have saved us from death. You have brought us to life. And it is all of you and none of us. You have called us to yourself. The call of Jesus outside the tomb of Lazarus who had been dead four days. You have called us by name. And we have come forth because you have made us alive. And so God we follow. Teach us today from Your Word. Teach us. Lead us. Guide us. And God, above all, increase our love for You. For it is in the name of the most blessed Lord Jesus Christ we pray. Amen. Today we return to our primary text in Ezra chapter 10. I feel like the time we've spent over the last three weeks looking at the covenants and the topic of divorce were necessary to our understanding of this passage, not to mention that they are worthy studies of themselves. Our understanding of the covenants of God undergird the entirety of our church confession. And the question of divorce, which is so prominent in Ezra, is one of the leading questions of our day with regard to the church and family. But this week, we will proceed in this passage to verse 4. And if the Lord is willing, I plan to spend this week and next looking at this verse. I read it just moments ago from the English Standard Version of the Bible, where it says, Arise, for it is your task, and we are with you. Be strong and do it. The New American Standard Version translates it this way. Arise, for this matter is your responsibility, but we, we, but we will be with you. 
Be courageous and act. Now, I don't intend to take you through all the different translations because, honestly, they're all very good, even if they differ slightly based on the language. What I'd like to point out is that the verse itself is a command. It begins with the imperative, Arise! And the rest of the verse is very terse. It is straight to the point. In most translations, including the King James Version, there are words in italics in your Bible, indicating they're not literally there in the Hebrew, but have been added by translators to help us understand the meaning of the verse. Again, there's nothing wrong with this. Please don't think there's anything wrong with this. We have to have those to guide us. But I found, and I found no fault with the translations and their choices of words. But the power of the command, I believe, comes out when we understand what the verse is talking about and we look literally at what's being said. It is very short. A literal translation of this verse might be, Arise, for this is yours, and we with you strengthen and do. Now we need those other words to help us understand that. But that is the command Shechaniah gave to Ezra. For Shechaniah, who I believe was speaking the command of God to Ezra as he laid face down in mourning in front of the temple, this was a time to act, not a time to wring hands. No frilly language, no orator skill, no beating around the bush, no putting it nicely, just clipped stern commands to God's appointed teacher to do his job and to accomplish his mission. We talk often of Esther, who became queen for such a time as this. I think Shechaniah is saying exactly the same thing to Ezra as Mordecai was saying to Queen Esther. He is saying here to Ezra, this is why God brought you here now. This is why God brought you from Babylon. This is why He had you gather the people to come. This is why He changed the heart of the king. This is your moment. Arise. I wonder how long Ezra might have stayed in mourning over the people's sins had it not been for the command of Shechaniah here. Now, I don't want you to think that Ezra's mourning over sin was a bad thing, nothing of the sort. We've already looked in the past at the virtues of mourning over sin, both in ourselves and in others. But we all know that remaining in that state can be increasingly hurtful to our lives and to our service for Jesus Christ. We can get to where all we do is complain about the way things are instead of doing what God has called us to do. I love the book of Ecclesiastes. Honestly, when I'm feeling really down, that's the book I read. Some people read Psalms. I read Ecclesiastes. Every time I read it, I find comfort and instruction in its pages. Something I've never seen before in those 13 short chapters. This morning, I would remind you of Ecclesiastes chapter 3, 
verses 1 through 8, where Solomon, speaking the words of the Holy Spirit, says this, There is an appointed time for everything. And there is a time for every event under heaven. A time to give birth and a time to die. A time to plant and a time to uproot what is planted. A time to kill and a time to heal. A time to tear down and a time to build up. A time to weep and a time to laugh. A time to mourn and a time to dance. A time to throw stones and a time to gather stones. A time to embrace and a time to give up or a time to shun embracing. A time to search and a time to give up as lost. A time to keep and a time to throw away. A time to tear apart and a time to sew together. A time to be silent and a time to speak. A time to love and a time to hate. A time for war and a time for peace. We can see in Shechaniah's command to Ezra an echo of this very chapter. Ezra, you had a time to mourn. Now it is a time to rise. Because the first word we encounter in verse 4 is that word, arise. Now the word is used over 600 times in the Old Testament. It is simply the common word for get up. Stand. To get out of bed. It could, he could be telling Ezra, get up off the ground. Like your mother may have told you when you were young, get up out of that dirt. Get up out of that mud hole. But here I think there's a more urgent meaning to this word. Because of the 600 times the word is used, more than 100 of those times in the Hebrew Scriptures, this same word is used to mean more than simply stand up. The imperative, this command has an urgency to it. It's the same command given to Lot by the angels that were sent to save him from the destruction of Sodom. In Genesis 19.15, we read up. Same word as arise. Take your wife and your two daughters who are here or you will be swept away in the punishment of this city. They're not simply telling Him to stand up. They're telling Him to get it together and get out. To go and do what God has commanded Him to do and that is to leave that sinful city behind because God's judgment is falling. Again, we see the same command by the prophetess Deborah when she told Barak in Judges 4.14, Arise, for this day in which the Lord has given, for it is this day 
which the Lord has given Sisera into your hands. Behold, the Lord has gone out before you. What Deborah is telling Barak is do not waste any time because God has gone before you. Arise! It's the same command Gideon received from God when he destroyed the Midianite army with his army of 300 people. Arise, go down against the camp, for I have given it into your hands. We see that in Judges chapter 7, verse 9. When we see this word used as a command in the Old Testament, it is militant. It, it, it has a mission attached to it, and that mission is right now. There's an urgency to it. And we see this word time and time again, 100 times in the Old Testament alone. And every time we see a great work of God following in its wake. But I tell you that we also see the same command in the New Testament. The Hebrew and the Aramaic word are identical for arise. The word is kum. I write it phonetically, K-O-O-M. In Mark 5.41, we actually see this Hebrew word written into the Greek text. We remember that when Jesus came to the dead daughter of the synagogue official, Jairus, Jesus commanded the little girl with exactly the same word. Mark 5.41 says, Taking the child by the hand, he said to her, Talitha kum, which translated means, Little girl, I say to you, arise. And we might even look at that as a gentle call. That's how I've always pictured it in my head. That He gently took her hand. And He gently spoke to her. And we might think that, except Luke records that incident slightly differently. In Luke 8.54, we read, He, Jesus, took her by the hand and spoke forcefully saying, child, arise. Jesus commanded her to arise. And immediately after, we saw the great work of God. The dead brought back to life. Oh, the wonderful grace of God. Because when He speaks a command to us, it is always for our good and for His glory every time. And that command is sometimes arise. We need to hear that sometimes, don't we? For some, morning can be too comfortable. I'm not talking about early in the day morning. I'm talking about weeping morning. We get lost in it. It becomes habitual, even addictive. 
It leads some to lose faith or to lose heart for the mission that they've been given by God. An example given by the great writer John Bunyan in The Pilgrim's Progress is when he talks of the slew of despond. Those are two words we don't use very often. And so we could also call it the swamp of despair. He says it this way, This miry slough is such a place as cannot be mended. It is the descent, whither the scum and filth that attends conviction for sin doth continually run. And therefore it is called the slough of despond. For still as the sinner is awakened about his lost condition, there ariseth in his soul many fears and doubts and discouraging apprehensions, which all of them get together and settle in this place. And this is the reason of the badness of the ground. We see the protagonist in the pilgrim's progress almost being trapped in this very swamp. His concern in in this passage is for those who are being convicted of their sin in their hearts, but do not find the forgiveness of Jesus Christ in their lives. Now, I'll be honest, it's certainly the state of some few, but the description Bunyan provides calls to mind many other things. They may mire our efforts for Christ and in Christ. The despair, I think, that is most prevalent in the church today is not despair over our guilt and our guiltiness before God. Bunyan was writing on the eve of the Great Awakening. And even in his day, the Spirit of God could be seen moving in people's hearts. No, in our day, too many around us are not sinking in their guiltiness. Quite the opposite. We have quite often been mired by the world and its entertainments and its luxuries. Particularly here in our wealthy land. The slew that traps us. The sin that so easily entangles us is the great sin of loving the things of this world. Our sad state is that most churches would mourn more over the loss of air conditioning than the loss of a member to sin. Paul addressed that kind of state in the church in Romans chapter 13, verses 11 through 14. He tells the Roman church, Do this. Knowing the, time, knowing the time that it is already the hour for you to awaken, the word is arise from sleep. For now salvation is nearer to us than when we believed. The night is almost gone, the day is near. Therefore let us lay aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us behave properly as in the day, not in carousing and drunkenness, not in sexual promiscuity and sensuality, not in strife and jealousy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh in regard to its lusts. Don't plan ahead 
for the flesh. You see the warnings against those things that the world holds dear. Carousing and drunkenness, promiscuity, sensuality, strife and jealousy. And that word awaken, arise from that is in verse 11. Arise, salvation is near. The promise that God gave us through Jesus Christ is right here. Arise, the night, the world is ending soon. Arise, our beloved Christ will soon appear. That is the message of the entire New Testament to God's church. Arise, be awake, stay awake. You haven't just been enlightened to the goodness of God. Your mind has not simply been changed about who God is and who Jesus Christ is. You were dead. And if you are in Christ, you have been raised with Him. Ephesians 2, 5-7 through says, When we were dead in our transgressions, God made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with Him and seated us with Him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the ages to come He might show the surpassing riches of His grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. Are you trapped by something today? You might well ask, trapped from what? For Ezra, he was trapped by his despair over the sin of the people. Perhaps he looked out and saw how big the job was. He thought he was going to simply teach in the temple and now he has to correct people. This is more than he signed up for, more than he realized. But he's not the first. The three men who refused to bow to the idol, who found themselves in the furnace, got more than they signed up for, but not more than God was able to handle. Everyone who is called by Christ is going to get more than they signed up for. We are all going to have trials. We're all going to have tribulations. We're all going to have things that bring us to our knees. But it is never more than God can handle in us. Our primary mission when God has called us out of this world is to be conformed to Jesus Christ. To prepare yourself through the Holy Spirit and the Word of God so that the fruit of the Spirit as we read in Galatians 5.22, begins to flourish in your life. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Paul gives this description of the Spirit's fruit immediately after the reminder of the deeds of the flesh that God has called us out of. Because those deeds of the flesh are listed in Galatians 5.19 and following. Immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmities, strife, 
jealousy, outbursts of anger, disputes, dissensions, factions, envying, drunkenness, carousing, and things like these. The call of Jesus through the Spirit, arise, is transforming, taking a person who is in love with this world and dead to God and making them alive to God through Jesus Christ, transforming their very lives. Paul tells us in Romans 6.11, even so consider yourselves to be dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. There may be someone listening today who has not yet been made alive in Jesus Christ. You're relying on your own strength, your own willpower, your own goodness to be acceptable to God. Perhaps you have a hope of heaven, but no idea whether you'll actually attain it. Perhaps you fear an eternity in hell, tormented every second with no relief possible and no hope of escape or pardon. So many futilely try to reason or philosophize away that tragic truth. Perhaps you have as well, declaring that a loving God would never send anyone to hell. But even as those words form in your mind, you know the truth. Your guiltiness, your sin makes you unfit for any other destiny. If you were today to stand before a holy, unblemished, perfect judge who knew every thought you had ever thunk, you could only be found guilty. To you, I say, hear the good news. Just like the little girl who was dead, you were dead in your sin. But Jesus Christ calls you commands you to arise. And in doing so, He exchanges His perfection for your guiltiness. He exchanges His goodness for your sin. Because He has paid for the sin of His people already when He was crucified once for all. Your own goodness is useless in your salvation but the goodness of Jesus Christ saves. All your efforts to earn salvation will be hopeless, but the one act of Jesus Christ dying on the cross purchased salvation for you and gave it to you as a gift. It is grace you don't deserve. That's the point. It is a gift received through faith. And so the call of God to those who are in Christ and to those who are outside. Arise. Come to me. Maybe you haven't been following the way you should. Maybe you've gotten entangled with the things of this world. Perhaps you've never known the call of Christ. Come to Him today because this 
is your time. This is the day of salvation. Let's pray. Our Father, You call us with such urgency, such tenderness. You have called us out of darkness into Your light. You have called us out of our sin into Your righteousness. You have called us out of our death into Your life. And it pleased You to do so. Oh God, as children of Yours, we do not fear Your judgment. We understand that You discipline us. But it is always with the goal of bringing us into the image of Your Son. And so discipline us. Teach us. Find where our hearts have been hardened by sin. Find where our hearts have been hardened by our love for the things of this world. And God, break them. We want to love you more than anything else. More than anyone else. Because God, you have loved us first. You sent your son because you loved us so much. So that whoever believes in him would not die. Would not suffer eternal punishment. But have everlasting life. We are grateful. We are overwhelmed. And we are your children because you have adopted us. Father, we pray these things in the name of Jesus Christ, the firstborn from the dead. Amen.